0: Welcome to the 150th episode of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator and head author of the Metamore City story universe. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you, fresh off the writing desk. And this episode marks the third anniversary since I started running this show. I'll have some thoughts about my writing journey later in the episode. For now, though let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 8 of my Metamore City novel, The Lost and the Least. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 143 to hear this story from the beginning. No recap this week, folks. We're heading right to the story. Here's Chapter 8. The Lost and the Least A Novel of Metamore City Written and Read By Chris Laster Chapter 8 John watched Kate carefully when she returned from her meeting with Captain Shaw. She wouldn't say what they had discussed, but she was in a strangely good mood. John guessed that Shaw must have a way in mind for Kate to get back to work, but Kate just said she would explain later. John suspected that whatever was in the works, Kate didn't want to jinx it by talking about it before it was accomplished. Kate certainly seemed to be in a celebratory mood. At her suggestion, they went out for dinner, then down to the street to visit a dive bar she knew well. Before they left the skimmer, Kate flipped down her sun visor and took a look at herself in the mirror. As John watched, she summoned up her power and cast a glamour on herself. Her hair turned black, her eyes changed from green to brown, and her skin turned several shades paler and took on pink undertones instead of her usual golden ones. A smattering of freckles broke out across her cheeks and over the bridge of her nose. Dark eyeshadow and mascara accentuated her eyes and gave her a hardened, hungry look. A jagged, hook-shaped scar grew from her mouth to her chin, adding to her fierce, predatory appearance. John had seen this persona before. She'd been wearing it last night, when she crashed her swoop. He thought it looked good on her. It reminded him of something he told her once, soon after they had met. You belong with us. Not with the guardians of order and virtue— but with the freaks, the outcasts, and the malcontents, the supposed dregs of society. And now here you are, walking into a dive bar with them. Funny how an illusion can be truer than your real face. How do I look? Kate asked, giving him a sultry expression from under long, black lashes. John grinned lasciviously back at her. Like trouble, he said, and kissed her. She returned it fervently for a moment, then pushed him back. Later, she said. Go on, change so we can go in. Hmm. John flipped down his own visor and considered himself in the mirror. He was still wearing the clean-cut, stylish form he'd had for the visit to the police headquarters. After a moment's consideration, he took off his buttoned shirt and threw it on the cargo shelf the skimmer's manufacturers laughably called the back seat. He left his close-fitting white t-shirt on. Running his fingers through his flat, straight hair, he reshaped it and twisted it with his shapeshifting powers, making it into a shorter, messier cut, with the sides and back trimmed down to only a few millimeters. He ran a hand over his cheeks and chin, spouting a field of three-day blonde stubble. He reshaped the bones of his skull slightly, making his cheekbones more prominent, the planes of his face gaunter and harder. Then he let the natural amber of his eyes come out, a wolf's eyes and a human face. He smiled at himself in the mirror. Now he looked predatory and dangerous, a fitting drinking companion for Kate's private eye alter ego. Kate reached out and touched his chest, dragging her fingernails down toward his belly. I like, she purred. Now let's have some fun. Inside, the bar was everything John had expected. Dark, cramped, and thick with cigarette and cannabis smoke. The front room was long and narrow, and most of it was taken up by the bar and the stools in front of it. There was a narrow walkway that led behind those stools to a squarish back room, where a live band was playing loud, thudding music for a packed crowd. John could tell within a few seconds that the band had more enthusiasm than talent, but no one seemed to mind. Kate squeezed into an open spot between two stools and leaned in over the bar. John admired the shape of her ass as she did so, as did several of the bar's other patrons. Moving with an unhurried grace, John stepped up behind her, locking eyes with each of the other men in turn and staring until they turned away. He was fully confident Kate could take care of herself but right now they were both play-acting for the other patrons. If they sent a message early on that they were not to be fucked with, there probably wouldn't be any trouble. Kate caught the bartender's attention quickly and ordered them a couple of whiskeys. Passing one to John, she cocked her head toward the back room. He followed her into the mass of humanity and the roar of the music. They found a space near the middle of the crowd, as other patrons took one look at them and made way. Kate grinned, clinked her glass against John's, and threw back her drink in one shot. John sipped. He took Kate's empty and stacked his own glass inside it. Kate closed her eyes and began to dance, letting her body twist and gyrate to the beat of the music. Some of her movements looked aggressive, some profoundly sexual, and some just looked silly but she wasn't paying attention to what John or anyone else thought of her. This was about getting lost in something bigger than yourself, letting it swallow you, a complete surrender to sensation. As a hedonist, John approved. But as two hours passed in a blinding, deafening haze, John began to grow concerned. Kate downed three more shots, then bummed a tablet of essence off another patron, chewed it up, and downed it with half a glass of beer. She shucked off her black leather jacket and danced until the sweat poured down her in sheets. She conjured a sparkling array of fairy lights that flickered and pulsed over the dancing crowd. Some people cheered, others drew back, but everyone was watching her. John noticed a couple of men by the back door who seemed to be watching her a little too closely. They had red bandanas and bat tattoos, both common symbols among the street gangs who owed their fealty to the vampire syndicate. When Kate tottered off to the bathroom between songs, they positioned themselves on either side of the hallway, leaning back against the walls and waiting. Uh Uh-oh. John wasn't a fighter. He'd been raised in a life of privilege, and when his true nature had been exposed and he'd been stripped of his name and title, he'd joined the priesthood of the Church of Hedonism. He'd always preferred a quick retreat to a direct confrontation. But retreat wasn't an option here. Kate had let herself be cornered, and she was too drunk and too high to realize it. John didn't know exactly what the gangers wanted, but it wouldn't be anything good. Fortunately, John had other talents at his disposal. Putting on his best predatory expression, John stalked toward the two men. As he did, he called up his aura. A cloud of darkness took shape around him, the shadows gathering and concentrating as his power flowed out into the room. A flood of sexual pheromones filled the crowded space, amping up the arousal of everyone near him. At the same time, John altered his own appearance, draining the color out of his skin and leaving it deathly pale. By now the gangers were watching him, their eyes wide and dilated something halfway between fear and wonder on their faces. John focused his shape-shifting powers on his own mouth, making his canines extend and sharpen into a pair of prominent fangs. He bared his teeth at the men. Good evening, gentlemen. I couldn't help but notice you taking an interest in my pet. His voice was a paper-thin veneer of civility over deep-seated rage. The two gangers shrank into themselves, lowering their eyes in deference. Pardon, my lord, one stammered. We meant no offense. I should hope not, John growled. Find another hunting ground, worms. This place is mine tonight. Yes, my lord. The gangers bowed deeply, then hurried out the back door. Several other men with similar outfits followed soon after their eyes averted from John's. When they had gone, John turned back to the room. All eyes stared at him in shock. John dropped his aura and shifted back to his human form, grinning sheepishly. He waved. (laughs) Nothing to see here, folks. Just a little illusion magic. (laughs) He made a few sorcerous-looking gestures, then let his horns pop out of his head. Look, I'm a goat! Then he gestured again and drew the horns back in. A few people laughed, and the room broke out in applause. John suspected he wasn't the only one there who'd thought the gangers were trouble. He bowed and waved, grinning like an idiot. With the tension in the room broken, people turned back to their own conversations. Soon the band started up again, and all was back to normal. Kate came dancing back out of the bathroom and rejoined the crowd, oblivious to what had just happened. Eventually, the band ended its set and started to pack up their gear. Kate, now weaving uncertainly with every step, started to boo loudly. Get back on the stage, you skags, she shouted. Come on! One more song! One more song! John came up beside her and put her jacket over her shoulders. Hey, he said quietly. Come on, Kate, let's get you home. No! she whined. I want to dance. If you dance any more, you're going to end up in the ER, John hissed in her ear. You need water and sleep. <sighs> Kate stuck out her lip in a dramatic pout. Then a thought seemed to strike her, and she pressed her body up against his. If I'm a good girl, do I get a treat? She ran her fingers lightly over his crotch. John's cock throbbed in anticipation. If you're a good girl, John said. Come on, let's go. Kate let herself be led toward the front exit. They were nearly there when a small voice piped up uncertainly from the end of the bar. Miss Kittredge? John turned to frown at the source of the voice. A little ratmorph shrank back under his gaze. What do you want? he demanded. Kate whipped her head around, saw the little man, and broke into a grin. Lyle! she cried happily. Hey, John, it's Lyle! This little son of a bitch saved me when I crashed! She stumbled over and wrapped the rat morph in a tight hug. Ack! Lyle said. You're welcome, ma'am. Please, I can't breathe. Kate let go and straightened up again. She was very tall for a woman, and with her standing next to him, Lyle looked positively tiny. You got here too late! Kate complained. We were having a party. Lyle looked up at her warily, his dark eyes worried. He looked at John questioningly. She's trashed, John said flatly. Whatever you've got to tell her, it had better wait until tomorrow. Okay, Lyle said. He gave Kate one more worried glance, then grabbed a bar napkin and wrote a number on it. He passed the napkin to John. Please have her call me as soon as she can. It's important. All right. John folded the napkin and stuck it in his pocket. Then he reached out and took Kate's hand, tugging her gently toward the door. Let's go, Kate. Kay, Kate said. She leaned over and kissed Lyle on the cheek. Good night, Lyle. The little man looked like he would fall off his barstool. Good night, he whispered. John got Kate the hell out of there before anything else could happen. Serenity Arms was closer than the church, so John parked his skimmer in one of the visitor spaces and half-carried Kate up the stairs to her apartment. You know I like you, John? Kate slurred as they mounted the steps. John suppressed a sigh. It was the third time Kate had broached the topic since they left the bar. She's blacked out, he thought. She's not going to remember a damned word of this in the morning. Because I have a big, hard cock and I love sticking it inside you, he said tiredly. He hoped the neighbors weren't listening. Kate giggled. Yeah, that, she said. And also, you don't give a shit what anybody thinks of you. Um, You, you're just you, man. Like, yeah, that's right, I'm a fucking incubus and it's fantastic. She laughed again, loudly, and gripped his arm harder, as if to emphasize her point. There's no fucking games with you, man. You just want to fuck, I just want to fuck. Doesn't have to be all... complicated. She tossed her head, mocking something or someone, and nearly tipped over in the process. John caught her and held her close. She giggled again. Yeah he said quietly. It's pretty simple, huh? Exactly. She reached for his crotch, stroked his swelling cock through his pants. Now let's go fuck. Remember, you have to be a good girl first, John said. Yeah, yeah. They made it to the apartment without Kate killing either one of them with a tumble down the stairs. John fished the keys out of Kate's jacket and let them in. Once inside, he guided her through the chaos of the living room and into her kitchen. He sat her down at the breakfast table and hunted through her kitchen cabinets until he found the packets of powdered electrolyte mix that Kate liked to use after a morning run. He mixed up one of the packets in a tall glass of water and made sure she drank the whole thing. Then he led her to the bathroom, had her empty her bladder one last time, and guided her to bed. Considering how utterly incapacitated she was, Kate did an impressive job of stripping out of her clothes in record time. She seemed confused by the tangle of blankets, though, so John tucked her in before kicking off his shoes and slipping into bed on the other side. Kate immediately started fumbling for his zipper, but he caught her hands, lifted them to his lips, and kissed them. "'It's not a race,' he said gently. "'Lie back and close your eyes.' No, Kate groaned. I want you to fuck me. Then do what I say, John said, still gentle but not budging a millimeter. Kate harumphed, but she lay back and closed her eyes. John focused his attention on his aura sight, the sixth sense that allowed him to perceive the mana fields around him. As an incubus, he was particularly attuned to life-aspected mana, the kind that living creatures generated, and the kind he needed to consume in order to survive. Kate's aura was exceptionally strong, which was probably one of the things that had first attracted him to her. Not only was she a wizard, and therefore carrying around a reserve of extra power inside her, but there was something unique about her aura, something that made it sparkle and shine before his aura sight in a way that most people's didn't. John reached out for that aura now as he lay his open palm on her chest. Kate arched into him, reaching up for his hand, but John caught her wrist with his other hand and guided it back down to her side. He moved his hand in small circles, caressing the skin as he felt around the surface of her aura. A healthy human's aura was closed most of the time, visible but not accessible from the outside. Creatures that fed on life energy, like him, had to do something special to access that energy. Sex was the easiest, but other forms of intimacy could open up a person's aura as well. John ran his hands up and down Kate's body like a massage therapist relaxing an anxious client. He worked the muscles of her neck and shoulders until they began to relax. He pulled up the bottom end of the blankets and rubbed her feet. As she grew more relaxed and compliant, He rolled her over onto her stomach and worked on her legs, back, and buttocks. She was still extremely aroused, but she was also enjoying the focused attention on her body, probably a lot more than she had expected to. John continued probing at her aura as he touched her, testing its resistance. He felt the barriers weakening, slowly but surely. When he had finished with her back, John rolled Kate onto her side and lay down behind her, As he planted soft kisses on her neck and ran his hand over her belly, he felt the last of her resistance slip away. Her aura opened itself to him. John opened his own aura in turn, and the hunger inside him reached out and fed. Kate gasped as she felt the pull of power on her aura, and she pressed her body back against his. He continued to flutter kisses over her neck and back, and with each one, He took a little more. The feeding triggered a flood of endorphins in Kate's body, and she let out a soft moan. John drew from her until her body relaxed again, and her head slumped back against him. The soft, pleasant numbness settled over her, and her eyelids drooped. Hey, she mumbled, like a person talking in her sleep. What about my treat? You said you'd fuck me. John held her close and brushed her cheek with his fingertips. I lied, he whispered. And before she could say anything else, Kate fell into a deep and dreamless sleep. And that's the end of Chapter 8. Come back next time for Chapter 9, when Kate awakens to an unpleasant morning and a street rat desperate for her help. As I said at the top of the show, this is the last episode of season three, so let's take a look back on the year with a special installment of the weekly writing report. The last year has been a decidedly mixed one in terms of my writing career. I wrote a total of 147,752 words over 200 days. That's not bad for a part-timer, but in Season 2 I did over 236,000 words in 317 days, and in Season 1 I managed over 231,000 words in 288 days. So my word count went down a lot compared to previous years. On the production side, I completed and released two audiobooks in the last year, Divine Intervention and Urban Legends. This has been an important part of my writing revenue. I make a lot more from selling audiobooks than I do from ebooks or paper. This has underlined the importance of getting my work out there in audio as quickly as I can. On the writing side, I finished The Lost and the Least, which is my largest and most ambitious novel to date. I worked on the book steadily from the beginning of June through the end of August, when I finished the first draft. Since September, I've flitted between a number of different projects. My Artax story, Operation Ibex, Breaking Hell, the first book in the Goetic Age trilogy, editing and revisions for The Lost and the Least, which took up most of the month of November, and, most recently, outlining for my next Metamore novel, None Shall Dwell Within. I completed three short stories in January and February, but apart from that, everything else I've started this year is still unfinished. This is directly connected to a drop in my writing output. In the last five months of Season 3, my monthly word count never got above 8,000 words. By comparison, my average monthly word count in the first seven months of the year was almost 17,000 words. There are a number of contributing factors that led to this drop. As I mentioned, I got married on April 28th, and the planning and preparation that went into it have taken up a lot of time. I've been entrusted with a lot more responsibilities at work, which has meant good things for my career in science, but also less time to write. I've been spending more time building into the relationships with my wife and my friends, and I've been doing more housework around the apartment, trying to be a better partner, and to keep our living space a lot more, well, livable but I can't put all the responsibility for this on my becoming a better scientist, a better friend, or a better partner. The truth is, I've been suffering from some burnout. Finishing The Lost and Least was huge, and while it fills me with a great deal of pride and accomplishment, I still haven't recovered from my post-project drop. I've had lots of writing ideas, but I haven't been able to summon the drive or the discipline to see them through to completion. I've been talking to Melanie about this, and we've decided that I need to take some time to step back and refocus, and part of that is going to involve this podcast. For the last three years, I've released 50 episodes a year, taking only two weeks off in each season. With the increased responsibilities in my work and personal life, that's become unsustainable. So for season four, I'm reducing my planned schedule to 40 episodes for the year, Some of those weeks off will be for vacations that Mel and I have planned, but mostly I'm going to use them to build up a recording buffer, so that I'm not always rushing to complete these episodes at the last minute. I'm also planning to spend some of those weekends going deep into my writing, in the hope of recapturing my creative energy. So, that's the plan, folks. You notice that I took the last couple of weeks off, as I was dealing with the aftermath of the wedding, and then going on our honeymoon up to Wisconsin Dells and Baraboo. Next week is Memorial Day weekend, and I'll be taking that off in order to attend WizCon here in Madison, Wisconsin. If any of my listeners are here in Madison and would like to come to the con with me, let me know on Facebook or Mastodon, and we can arrange a meetup. After that, I'll come back on June 3rd with the start of The Raven in the Writing Desk Season 4. I hope you'll join me. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorphcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641 715 3900, then enter extension two five five zero eight two. 082 followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash chris lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my mastodon handle is at author chris lester at wandering.shop. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back on June 3rd with more fresh new fiction. Until then, Keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2018 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.